This is episode number 482 with Eric Barker. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I'm so grateful that you showed up today, whether you are waking up in the morning right now, you're making your breakfast, lunch, or dinner, you're on your workouts, you're working out on the cardio, on the elliptical, you're running on a track, uh, you're listening during work, during your commute, or while you're going to bed, I just want to say thanks. So many people message me on social media and they'll post a photo or their video of where they're listening to this during their day routine and how it's inspiring them and lifting them up. So wherever you're listening to this right now, thank you so much. And I'm very excited about this episode. And before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the review of the week over on iTunes. And this is from SoxBoy56. The podcast is life-changing, he said. I began listening about a year ago, and it has been one of the biggest difference makers in my life. Lewis is an inspiring person, and no matter what walk of life or background you have, he finds guests who can relate to all. These guests bring the most inspiring messages you could hope to find anywhere. Lewis does a tremendous job with his questions as these guests share what has made them so successful and achieve greatness. I love this podcast, even the guests who I'm unsure on who they are. I hit the play button and, of course, am amazed by their message and what they're sharing. This is an absolute must-subscribe podcast. Your mind, body, and inner greatness will thank you later. Now let the class begin and subscribe. Boy 46 thank you for being the review of the week, for acknowledging all the incredible guests we have on, as it's my duty as the dean of greatness to bring only the best professors in the world who can teach you how to unlock the greatness within you. So I continue to be the curator to make sure that uh, I bring in only the best of the best. I'm constantly researching. I'm constantly building relationships. And I'm staying on people sometimes two, three, four years to get them on. So I'm doing my best to bring the best. And today we've got someone who's incredible. His name is Eric Barker. And his humorous blog is called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And it presents science-based answers and expert insights on how to be awesome at life. That's right. Another person searching for greatness. He's got almost 300,000 people who subscribe to his newsletter. His content is syndicated by Time Magazine, Business Insider, and The Week. And he's been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Atlantic Monthly, Financial Times. And he's also been all over NPR, spoken at MIT, Yale, West Point, all the big places. He's a big shot. And what we talk about today are how to really find the science behind the success and the myths behind the success. So there's a lot of research that Eric's done that we talk about, and we cover some of these main points, which are what happens when introverts act like extroverts and how they can be successful. Also, one of the biggest elements of success and what you need to do if you want to be successful, how the paradigm of confidence is broken. What is nicer than believing in yourself? We're going to reveal the answer. And also how to keep going when you want to give up when things are so rough, how you continue to keep going. I am super pumped for this one. I hope you guys enjoy it. As always, make sure to share with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 482. And without further ado, 
let me introduce to you the one, the only, Eric Barker. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got Eric Barker in the house. How you doing, man? Great to see you, buddy. Good to see you, man. I'm excited about this. You're kind of the mad scientist of breaking down success. Mm-hmm. And you've got a book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And it's the surprising science behind why everything you know about success is mostly wrong. And it's out right now. Make sure you guys go pick this up. Um, I'm excited about this because when we were talking about this before, you said it's kind of like the Mythbusters of success where each thing out there, each principle of success, you go see if it's actually true or not in the real world. You test it, you apply it, you get research on it, and you figure out what works and what doesn't work. Absolutely. And you've been writing a a blog for over eight years, right? It's got almost 300,000 subscribers. You've been featured in everywhere you can think of. Um, And you've been starting, you started to write about these things on your site. Is that correct? Yeah. And what did you notice when you started to write about some of these ideas out there? What did you notice as a feedback? Uh, it was just crazy to see that a lot of the questions that we all have actually have answers. There, William Gibson has this awesome quote I love that's, you know, the, uh, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Mm. And there's a lot of questions we have about success uh, that, you know, academic research experts uh, already have the answers to, and we just don't know them. And we get caught up in many of these maxims that we hear that haven't been tested, have never been really put to the metal, and they're just pithy. So nice guys finish last, you know, um, winners never quit, quitters never win. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And, you know, me personally, it's like, I've had a bunch of career changes. I've had a bunch of shifts. I tried following these these things, and it, it just was never that simple. It right. was never that easy. There always seemed to be exceptions. There always seemed to be different cases. There always seemed to, We all know people who, you know, maybe network fantastic but aren't good at their job or great at their job. They don't network. What is the, really the answer? So, frankly, these are things I was struggling with, mm-hmm. I've been wondering about. And so I decided after eight years of doing the blog of talking to experts and trying to get the real answers to questions we all wonder about. It's like to really go down the rabbit hole, put a book together, and Mm -hmm. just like you said, Mythbusters, go to each one of these maxims, look at the research, talk to the experts, and say, you know, let's give this thing its day in court, and let's see, is it true? Is it not true? When is it true? When is it not? So that we can actually start getting what we want. Right. What was the most surprising thing, or what's the thing that people are always curious about the most? I mean, one thing people are always curious about is, you know, the the whole issue of uh, of networking and you know, is it what you know or who you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, extra- I've, I've always thought that it's about who you know and who knows you. Yeah. Well, and those are two, and those are two very separate things. Where it's like, you know, you know, who do you, who do you know versus who knows you is a whole different shift because right. who you know, that's fine. But a lot of people, you know, <laughs> I mean, President of the United States, you know, in any situation, you know, somebody's going to know him, but, you know, who does he know? I mean, it's how big is your audience in that sense? But yeah. what do you see down the... the you want to have both. You want to have relationships oh, with a lot of people that yeah. are could be key partners or key a- uh, allies in the future. Absolutely. And you want also, I think, a lot of people to know who you are. Yeah. So that you can create opportunities for yourself. Either oh, way, right? Fan- oh, fantastic. Yeah, no, that's exactly what you want. Because yeah. what you see with the trade-off with extroversion and introversion is, you know, extroverts, it's fantastic. It's easy to build a network. They make friends wherever they go, you yes. know. And extroversion is one of the most key things that has been proven over and over again in personality research is extroverts are happier. They've got friends around them. They've got bigger mm. support networks. You start to look at all this stuff. You wonder, why would anybody want to be an introvert? <laughs> then you see, and one of those damning uh, studies you see is that when introverts pretend to be extroverts, uh-huh. they're happier. 
Really? Yes. Wasn't there a whole book about like quiet, like Susan Cain, and talking about absolutely like, the power of introverts or something? Yeah. Or? And then you look at the research on introverts, and you see the difference. And that is that what was what was the the line from the study was uh, with its academic jargon was was uh, <laughs> was um, what high higher levels of extroversion are 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 what, inversely correlated with individual proficiency, which is which is academic speak for the more extroverted you are, the worse you are at your job. Really, because introverts have more time to get good at what they do. And one of the craziest things is you look at studies of Olympic athletes and top athletes, and you see more introverts because less time partying is more time in the batting cage. There's machines of efficiency, yeah, absolutely, just constantly mastering their craft, like kind of their yes. inner world. Yeah. Working with like one coach and just yep. like repeating the process over, over and over, right? Absolutely, it's like the you know you want to talk about ten thousand hours. Mm -hmm. Okay, you've got more hours to yeah. work on to work on your stuff. So you see, a lot of experts in their field are more likely to be to be introverts. But the truth is that most people are not at the extremes. Most people are what's called ambiverts, or somewhere in the middle. And those people have a superpower too. What's funny is people assume that oh, extroverts are going to be the better salespeople, and the truth is that extroverts are often, you know, too too pushy, too engaged, too question. Introverts too laid back, not assertive enough. Ambiverts, the people in the middle, usually have that wiggle room to actually be able to say. It was, it was Adam Grant in an interview, so the ambiverts can kind of say, "Who do I need to be here? What skills do I need to bring to task?" And they have that. You know, they're not at the extremes, so they can actually navigate certain situations better because they can call on different aspects of their personality. Sounds like they're more aware of who they need to be in a situation with someone else. Absolutely. They're aware of that person's needs or if they're introverted, they're extroverted, so they can kind of match them yes. in a way where yes. they feel more comfortable and more liked, Yes, which could potentially get a better result. Yeah. It's all about that connection yeah. when you're thinking about the other person. Wow. So which one are you? Oh, I'm definitely an introvert. I'm I'm definitely an introvert. That's that's how that's how this book got done was 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 me was me head down. Any uh, blogger who's that detailed and does that much research as well and like writes long posts, you always know they're it's, an introvert. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh yeah. It's, it's, it's the extrovert who just like, let's just have a conversation and get it out there. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out as we go along. Let's have yeah, some fun. Exactly. No, I mean, you know, everybody's got their advantages, everybody yeah, got yeah. their things. So the thing that comes up, you know, again and again in the book and in the research is just, you know, knowing thyself it goes back to the Oracle of Delphi. It's like knowing yourself and then picking the right pond. You know, as Boris Groysberg, uh, you know, at Harvard Business School was talking about, you know, that perfect environment because context matters so much. So if you know who you are and you get yourself in an environment that is aligned with your skill set, that's a key element of success versus somebody who doesn't know themselves or knows themselves and put mm. themselves in a situation where their skills aren't vital. Yeah. So a really big element of success is just alignment mm. between you, your skills and where you're at. Got it. Um, Another myth that I want to learn about from yeah. you is the uh, the myth of never giving up. Yeah, should we never give up or should we fail fast? Uh, see, that's and that's really critical because right now you know grit is having its big moment uh -huh. and it's grit, 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 and you know. But if you never quit anything, if I never quit anything, I, I'd still be playing t-ball. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like right. you you've got to let things go. Yeah, but and not working for you. No, and so there's there's that balance where on one hand, you know, you look at key elements like optimism, like stories, like framing things as a game that can really help increase resilience. But on the flip side, something people don't talk about is how do you figure out what you can let go? You know, and one of the stories I tell in the book is a, a friend of mine, really fascinating, very accomplished guy, Spencer Glendon. 
who this guy's enormously accomplished runs he's director of research for one of the biggest wealth biggest wealth management fund in massachusetts um has done so much in his life and for the majority of his life he has been seriously ill but he managed to accomplish some incredible things. And that is because, pretty funny, he's a PhD in economics, and he firsthand got a lesson in opportunity cost and being able to say, every time I pick one thing, I'm not picking something else. So when you're, when you're physically compromised, you only have a few hours in every day. Yeah. You have to really ask yourself really the hard question. What, what am I going to do with my time? I don't have time to waste. And so that builds incredible focus. And hmm. quitting here gives you more time for grit there. And that level of opportunity cost of saying, what's important to me? What's number one? When you know you only have so much time, that, that brought it to the forefront for him. But that's a, a question we can all ask ourselves. And there's, you know, a number of other tools, but kind of like, you know, what you're saying where uh, Peter Sims wrote a great book, Little Bets, you know, all about uh, basically looking at your life uh, almost like a, like, a, like a venture capital firm would, where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try a couple different things. I'm almost going to be a flake. I'm going to try 10 things. I know I'm going to quit seven of them. Two might be fun. And, and one is going to be my venture capital. It's going to be my Google right, or my right, Facebook. Right, right, right. But by always taking 5% of your time and trying something new, maybe I quit, maybe I don't, you can find that next big thing. Yeah. You can find great opportunities, meet great people. We, all, we always need to be open to new things. We don't have to go all in on something all the time and never look at anything else. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. we don't have to like try something and go all in right away. We yeah. can have our main thing. Yeah. That's kind of like our bread and butter that yeah. continues to grow and then try other things. I feel like I'm that way yeah. in a lot of ways. You know, my yeah. podcast is very consistent Absolutely. three times a week. Yeah. It's like constantly getting better, but we're always testing and trying other programs and products and things where, where we want to see what works and what doesn't work. Absolutely. And some of these things bomb big time. <laughs> we put like a lot of money into it and we're yeah. like, uh, this was a bad idea. Yeah. But I would rather try something that I'm curious about or interested in yeah. and then end it quickly mm -hmm. than always be thinking you know, like, I wonder what if. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. With my personality. So I'd rather yeah. be like, ah, oh, this would be a cool idea to do someday. I'd rather just try it. Yeah. If it doesn't work, okay, we know it doesn't work. Yeah. And then I can move on to something else. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe people think differently. No, no, no. I, I think you got the right attitude there because yeah. even with the blog, I, I'll do the same thing where it's like, I know there's, you know, there's, there's bedrock stuff that people are always curious about, productivity, happiness. That's uh -huh. great. But it's kind of like you get that attitude of one for the Pope, one for the people where it's like, here's a safe thing. And then I'm going to try something mm -hmm. crazy. Sometimes they fall flat. Other times, you know, you find a vein of interest, mm -hmm. something that people are really key on or take it something at a different angle. And that really connects and clicks with people. And the only thing constant in the world is change. So if you're not trying new things, you know, eventually you're going to be, you're going to be horse and buggy in a car world. That's true. You know? So no, I think you got the right attitude. Constantly got to be innovating in some ways. Absolutely. Right? What's a, a post you did that you thought like, eh, I don't think many people are going to be into this, but it was actually like a massive hit for you. What, uh, was, the, what was the topic? Do you remember? Uh, two years ago, I, I wrote a piece on imposter syndrome. And I just didn't know if this was something that was really going to resonate with people. And it just exploded because, of, you know, uh, we, we, cause I think that's, that's inherent in imposter syndrome where, you know, you think, oh my God, I'm, uh, how did I get here? I don't deserve this. I'm, I'm, I'm a fraud. I'm not really. And the truth is everybody's wondering about, they're not talking about it. If they talked about it, it might not be an issue. People might be able to say, oh no, 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 no look here. You're, but we don't, we hold it back. And so, you know, everybody's feeling that to some degree or mm. another, but because we don't share it, this, and because people aren't talking about it, I'm wondering, is this something that only affects 2% of my reader? 
it turns out it's something Everyone. that every everybody really? feels. Everybody feels. And that is something, you know, to be able to open up and talk about that, then we can get verification. You know, we can have mm. the reassurance, the love, the support we need. And, you know, simply having somebody say, look at your resume. Right. Look at what you've done. You know, we what, all need that. Yeah. What can someone do if they feel like they're an imposter or they're not ready for the mm -hmm. greatness that's supposed to come to them or that they want to achieve if they feel like they're years behind. What I mean, they, what's the approach? The, I mean, the, the, the first step is, you know, is opening up, is being able to talk talking to people, to, talking to people about it. Because very often we use a different lens with ourselves than we do with others. And, you know, that's a, you know, was it a fundamental attribution bias where, you know, it's, it's like when, when, when somebody else cuts you off in traffic, they're a jerk. When you cut somebody off in traffic, well, I had to. You know, it's right. like we, we use different lenses and in that same way, we'll look at what somebody else's accomplishments and say, oh my God, it's amazing, amazing. But we discount our own because, oh, I got lucky. Oh, I got this. But everybody gets lucky. Everybody has their moment. Everybody. And to share that, to talk with people, to hear other voices other than the critical one in your own head, mm -hmm. you know, that's really the first step to, to, to making some progress and, and getting out of that fear. Yeah. You talked about um, poisonous personalities. Yeah. And the qualities of poisonous personalities in becoming performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah. What do you mean by that? And it's how really, is that possible? It's it's really interesting. It's uh, part of that was on the the research by Gotham Akunda uh, at Harvard Business School on the different types of leaders. And what you see is that at the extremes, there are some things that are negatives in one situation, positives in another. You know, sometimes we need you know, a placator, a negotiator, and sometimes we need somebody who's, who's hard as nails. And in some situations, comes back to the issue of picking the right pond, you know, mm -hmm. in some situations, that negative stubbornness trait, that we call it grit. Sometimes, sometimes weirdness is eccentricity. <laughs> right. And, you know, so sometimes when we're at extreme situations, extreme personality traits are really sometimes they're, they're vital. Mm. You know, um, I, I talk about one time, um, was it when they, uh, Pixar, they had just finished up Finding Nemo. Brad Bird was going to do a movie for, for Pixar and they, they weren't sure about how to do it. Steve Jobs at that point was very concerned that Pixar was losing its edge, that they were getting complacent. And Brad Bird said, give me all the black sheep. Give me all the guys who are headed out the door. Give me the crazy people that nobody wants. Put them on my team. At Pixar. Yes. Yes. And, you know, he got all of these crazy guys, the difficult ones, the problematic ones, and he let them try their crazy theories. And for a vastly smaller budget, they did everything better finding Nemo and the movie they ended up creating was the Incredibles, which won the best animated picture Oscar made over $600 million. Wow. So those difficult traits, those problematic people given license, given the right environment mm. were game changers. Huh. So in some situations, those people might be the problems. They might be the difficult, but in a situation where you're trying to creatively solve a problem, you need somebody to shake things up. I like that. That's pretty interesting. Huh? So how many people were on that team? Do you know these oh. were people they were going to fire? They were actually going to fire this group. The, of people, these or? these these were the black sheep. These were the people that that nobody wanted. Who were probably going to quit. Who were probably going to leave. But no one and like listened to their vision, or no one like this guy's got a crazy idea. This guy yeah, doesn't right. want to do it the way we always do it. Right. And you know the funny thing was is that Pic that Pixar was facing the issue of complacency of yeah. turning into you know Disney to the other companies that have been around for decades. Yeah. And so they started listening to the rabble rousers, the prob the problem children. And what they ended up doing was winning an Oscar and, you know, making a ton of money. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. Um, 
Let's talk about confidence. Yeah. Now there's a there's a part in the beginning of the book where you talk about confidence and how training for confidence. It, what did you say here? Training for confidence, uh, or trying to increase it, confidence fails. But there's a Buddhist philosophy that holds superior to the solution. What's really interesting is the is is with a with a lot of the issues of success, it's it's oh, is it this side or is it this side? Is it is it is it is it the people who stick with it or the people who quit? And with confidence, what you see is that it looks like the whole paradigm is kind of broken because confidence doesn't lead to success so much as it follows success and you gain confidence when you create a result exactly you earn it you don't you're not just confident before you do anything yeah you got to prove something to exactly. yourself and to whatever and to, situation certainly and then the more you have little wins yeah if you win a game you're like oh i i can do this yeah and when we try and train people for confidence and this has been done california had a big initiative a while back you don't actually the kids don't get better grades. Really? The kids don't stay off drugs. The kids don't. The, all you're doing generally is increasing narcissism. Right. You know, Same. I'm and, the best. We haven't done anything. Exactly. <laughs> increasing entitlement. And mm. with confidence, the danger is that people get overconfident. And uh, Dan Ariely did some research. Uh, it was fascinating, where they gave people a test, and they they let them they they let it kind of be known that there was a way to cheat. And so the people who cheated, obviously, did better. Uh, they didn't know that the researchers could had a way to detect this. Then they said on a subsequent test, how do you think you'd do? And the people who cheated felt that they would do better on a subsequent test. They had succeeded by cheating, but they now had believed, I'm good at this. Huh. So it's like it's like flying a plane on autopilot, and then thinking next time you get in the cockpit without the autopilot, you're actually going to be a you know a good pilot, right? You know, so your the confidence isn't necessarily connected to actual skill level. So not only can you become dangerously overconfident, you know, where you know there's no such thing as a pretty good alligator wrestler. <laughs> you know, you're either good or you're not. And being overconfident, that's an area where it's very dangerous. And by the same token, these people become you can become a jerk. And obviously, low confidence, we, we know what happens there. So the, the Buddhist element, and this has been tested extensively by Kristen F. at uh, University of Texas at Austin, is self-compassion. Instead of lying to yourself about how awesome you are, it's having a more realistic notion and forgiving yourself when you screw up. So those people have a much more realistic vision of reality, but they're not you know crushed when bad things happen because they're able to forgive themselves. Yeah. You had a quote in here. I have it in the other book. Yeah. It said something about like, maybe it's around confidence, something around like training for confidence. Let me see this. I highlighted it here. Um, you said, you said, believing yourself is nice, but forgiving yourself is better. Yeah. Kind of goes into that. Absolutely. It's like having self-compassion. Yeah. It's like forgiving yourself. You're like, it's going to be okay. Like, let's work harder next time. Yeah. But just having belief in yourself and be like, I'm going to do it when you've never proven anything to yourself Absolutely. or put in the reps or yeah. practiced uh -huh. and just saying, I'm going to wrangle a alligator. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to have the confidence, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. You don't have, you don't have to lie to yourself. You can, mm -hmm. you can just forgive yourself instead. And both of those allow you to yeah. keep going when things are tough. I also think like training for confidence, you know, I used to be terrified to speak on stage. Yeah. And I remember it shifted for me a while ago. And I still get nervous every now and then. Now it's not like I'm a pro or anything, but I, uh, it shifted a while ago when someone said, you know, 
you get so nervous that you're focusing on how you're going to look instead yep. of focusing on how you're going to do or how you're going to look, focus on how you can help others. Exactly. And not, don't make it about you. Make it about everyone in that room on how you can impact them the best way possible. Yeah. And forgive yourself afterwards for not saying all the right words or stumbling yeah. or forgetting something like it's going to be okay. Yeah. As long as you focus on giving your best to the room as opposed to wanting all the praise afterwards, yeah. it's going to be good. So I think it's Absolutely. like a way to believe in yourself, kind of tricking yourself yeah. like, yeah, I want to believe in myself by helping others. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to having to look the best in this situation. Yeah. You're that, focused on the outside rather than the inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's cool. That's um, what do you feel like has been your biggest challenge in being successful or reaching your goals or um, you know, achieving what you want to achieve? I mean, a big thing for me was, you know, like finding the, finding the answers, finding the path, finding the mentors because – you know, I've heard so many different things. That's that's why I started the blog. That's why I started the book because I knew there were answers to a lot of these questions. And you know, I just felt like I was getting bad roadmaps, mm -hmm. and I'm following them down. They're not working out for me. And it's like you you start to learn a few things, but you know, you just you hear that oh, just you know, oh, you know, being smart or being creative or beating this, but but there's no one metric. You know, it's one of the things I talk about in the work life balance chapter is that you know, is that the problem is it's called a collapsing strategy. When we collapse everything and we have one metric in life and we say, as long as that number goes up, everything's going to be great. And it's, it's just not the case because if you're just focused on happiness in the moment, you're probably not thinking long-term. If you're just focused on achievement, your relationships and your happiness are probably going to suffer. So it's, you know, just collapsing everything into one metric that doesn't really work. There's an issue of balance. And for me, I was like, what path do I take? Who do I listen to? And so I just started trying to cobble together everything and talking to people far smarter than I am to try and get some answers about, you know, what were the best steps to take? Yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's your belief on balance? You know, is there such a thing as balance? There's definitely a thing on balance, but, uh, you know, I think the, the first step is really having a personal definition of success because when you take it whole cloth, the difference between a tailored suit and a suit off the rack. I yeah. mean, if you just say, you know, our culture screams, you know, money, success with this, and you got to kind of ask yourself, you know, what's really important to me, what's going to make me happy because otherwise we just get caught in these loops and, you know, we, we, we sacrifice family for money, you know, we sacrifice, you know, you know, happiness for progress or progress for happiness. And, you know, to really sit there and say, what's important to me, you know, what do I need? Because if we follow somebody else's roadmap, we don't end up where we want to go. Mm. So it's kind of defining at first your vision, your dream, and what it's going to look like for you to be yeah. happy and fulfilled or yeah. achievement. Yeah. What does that look like? Because for you, it might be, mm -hmm. or for a mom or a woman, it might be like to have a family and have a couple of kids and yeah. be active in her community and yeah. feel like she's making an impact on that. Yeah. That could be her measure no of doubt. success, right? No doubt. So uh, for me, I looked at, uh, uh, there was a, some great research by uh, two Harvard Business School professors, and they were some of the ones who talked about that collapsing strategy. The other mistake a lot of a lot of people make is the sequencing strategy, where first I'm going to work really hard, then I'm going to fall in love and have a family, and then I'm going to do something fulfilling, and, and I'm going to make a lot of money, and then I'll do this, then yeah. and you never you never you never get there, or yeah, you know I'm going to do this for that, and I'm miserable, and then all oh, the relationships, but now you know my kids are 15, they don't even know me because I was too busy work. It's like you can't break it up like that. So it was it was uh, Stevenson and Nash were uh, two professors who looked at this, and what they found among the people who had balance was they looked at four four key metrics were consistent with them, happiness achievement, 
they had uh, they had uh, what was it? They had a legacy, mm-hmm. and they had significance. Yes. And those were the four. Is basically happiness is are you enjoying what you're doing? Are you enjoying your time? You're having fun. Second was achievement. Achievement was progress and goals, making money. You know, success in your career. Third was significance. So the people you love, the people who love you. You know, are you making a positive impact on their life? Yes. And then legacy is. You know, am I am I making the world a better place? Am I contributing to the future and to to others? Because it's it's easy to just hit two or three of these and miss out on another. And it sounds like a lot to balance four, but it's it's not that hard actually to like look at your calendar, look at the hours, yeah. and say which 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 buckets is this making a deposit? Is this towards achievement? Is this towards happiness? Is this towards significance? Is this towards legacy? And then you can start to you know almost like almost like a boat. You know you don't go totally straight. You kind of tick tack tick tack and make sure you're putting a little bit in each one of the buckets. You know that's a good way to try and find balance as opposed to just as long as I do this one thing. No, it's not gonna work. Yeah, I kind of think that's interesting. I've saw uh, a mentor of mine who right. I've actually had on here. He gives himself a rating at the end of every day. He has okay. a calendar yeah. where every single day he looks at it and, and rates himself on kind of his own categories. Yeah, similar to that, but some other things as well. Like his yeah. health is in there. Like, yeah. how did I do in my health on a scale of one to ten? You yeah. know, my relationships, my business, all the things. Like. Yeah. Did he have fun today? Exactly. And he rates himself and he has a whole score by the end of the month. And I thought yeah. it was fascinating. Oh. That way it gives you like a guide. And every day, week, month, you can look back and say, well, what do I need to change? Yeah. As opposed to just like, I have no clue what I'm doing every day and I'm not yeah. sure how to get out of this. But when we track these things, it's a little easier. Oh, no. And that's, I think that's that's critical. Yeah. When, um, when I spoke to, to Mike Norton, who's another professor at Harvard, he was talking about that's the problem with money. You know, the problem with money is it's very easy to count. <clears throat> Versus, you know, so you can say, am I making more money than I was last year? Yes, I'm doing good. But uh, I'm a good brother. I'm a good boyfriend. I'm a good husband. I'm a good dad. There's no number for that. So it's very hard to track. Mm -hmm. And so I looked around you know, are there ways we can, and just like, just like you were saying with, you know, giving yourself a ranking on these other things. I think that's a critical thing. There was one venture capitalist who, what he did was, uh, he had his assistant not only track his schedule, but he had his assistant track at the end of every month. How many times did he have dinner with his family? And that became his metric because if there were too many times where that number fell under a certain thing as a father, as a husband, he was screwing up and he knew that number, just like all of his investments Uh needed to go up. Uh, another, uh, Kevin Bolin, who uh, was a director of strategic investments at KPMG, he created a fun little game for himself. He knew he needed to spend more time with his family before his sons graduated high school. So he basically set upon himself, I want to lose my frequent flyer status. Because if I'm still platinum status, that means I'm flying a lot. And if I'm flying a lot, I'm not home with my kids. <laughs> wow. So I want to see platinum drop down to gold next year. Oh, if I'm still platinum, I'm making a mistake. I'm wow. not at home enough. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's other ways you could do that. You could spend <laughs> a lot on your business card and get platinum points. You know? <laughs> Take more buses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Interesting. What's the thing that you've learned mm-hmm. that surprised you the most out of all this stuff where you were like, huh? I can't believe this was actually true. Uh, what was one of the things that was really shocking to me was uh, in terms of the work-life balance issue was you know we all think that um, 
you know, it's like working working harder does produce results. Mm-hmm. Just you know, that's that's the problem. Work harder, work smarter. I mean, well, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> and the and the funny thing was that there's the threshold hypothesis in terms of IQ, and what that means is we often think that oh, IQ points. The higher it goes, the smarter you get, the better you'll do. No, not the case. Uh, when Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi looked at yeah creativity, studied eminent people across the arts, business, everything, and what he found was when people had an IQ of 120. You know, they could they could be one of these people who won Nobel Prizes, National Book Award, anything like that. But the difference between 120 and 180 was almost negligible. Because once you had the basic toolbox, once you had the basic things, it was the hours you spent, it was how much time you put in. So while there's certainly an argument for balance, you know, spending more time does pay off. So that's why it's tricky. If it was as easy as, oh, after after eight hours a day, it's fine. No. Once you have that personal definition of success, you can say how much I want to achieve because more does produce more results. It just comes from one of the other buckets. Yeah. And it's also, you know, if you want to be the best chess player, the best basketball player in the world, you can't just be like, I'm going to practice an hour a day. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. No. So you've got to put more time on achieving something if that's your main priority. Mm -hmm. You've got to put more energy and time into that. Oh, absolutely. One One of the most fascinating stories I came across was blew me away. Was uh, I think it's Nigel Richards is the uh, French Scrabble champion, and um, you know spent an enormous That's amount a tough of time. Game. Uh, it's very That's tough. A tough game. I mean, and, and French actually has I forget a uh, ten, twenty, a hundred thousand more words in the English language. Really? Does. So it's even harder. Uh, but this guy spent a crazy amount of time working at it. In fact, he spent such a crazy amount of time that I guess I should mention Nigel Richard, Richards does not speak French. Wow. He was the English Scrabble champion. He did that, and then he said, I want to do the other thing. So he knows all these words. He doesn't know how to speak the language. When he accepted the award, he had to have a translator give the acceptance speech. That's crazy. Yes. Why didn't he just do this in English? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was the thing. He spoke English? He he spoke English. Why didn't he just do the the English Scrabble? He was already the champion. He was already the champion. Oh, so he needed a new competition. I got to take it to the next level. Oh, my goodness. So he doesn't know what the words mean, but he can spell them. And so it was... It was crazy. It must have taken so much time to memorize that many words. I can't imagine what that takes, but it's like when you're that ambitious, when you work that hard, you know, you can do things that just sound patently ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, here's one we talked about previously before we came on the show last time we met, and you kind of went into this with the IQ. Do grades matter Mm -hmm. towards being successful? Like if I'm a valedictorian 4.0, highest IQ, everything else like that, is that the factor towards being successful in a career or as an entrepreneur or generating you know a certain result in life? Uh, Sean Aker, uh, best-selling author, he he did some research that basically showed your college grades. Uh, it's about as much of a roll of the dice. Really? Yeah. And if if you look at another study of American millionaires, the average GPA among American millionaires is two point nine. Oh wow! Yeah. That's and C minus average, right? Yeah. Is that what it is? Or it's, no, B it's, minus. It's yeah. It's, B minus. I mean, it's less than yeah. It's less than less than a B. Wow. And the thing is that what you when a Karen Arnold at Boston College did a study of valedictorians, and what she found out is that basically they're they're playing by the rules. They're not trying to learn. They're usually just trying to get good grades, and that means to some degree, kind of gaming the system. They're just focused on doing well. They're they're complying with rules. And what happens in their longer term career is exactly the same thing, which they end up doing well. 
but they end up fitting into the system, they don't shake up the system. These are not the people who are going to be world changers. These are not the people who are going to take huge risks. They're going to be a part of the system. They're not going to question the system and improve the system. So it's one of those big questions where, you know, are you the kind of person who follows the rules versus breaks the rules? You know, so valedictorians do well. Uh, and the truth is they do very well in areas where strict compliance, follow, follow the rules, everything. But when life has a lot more options, a lot more possibilities, opportunities in the arts, entrepreneurship, you know, this is where they're not as suited because life doesn't have clear boxes, uh, fill in the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the it's that, it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not that simple and straightforward. Mm. So, you know, just get good grades is not, not at all a prescription for wow. success. So, do you think you'll have kids one day? I'm sorry? Do you think you'll have kids, kids one day? I don't day? know. I don't know. No, no? Maybe. If, they, if you did kids, yeah. if you had kids, would you push them to get really good grades? I mean, I, you know, I don't think it hurts, right, but, right. I, but, I, but I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put that above all else yeah. because, again, you know, what if, what if your kid wants to do something that's not, that's right. not a subject in school? Uh, mm -hmm. What if when they start to get to know themselves – you know, they realize that again. They want to do something in the arts. They want to do something that's a little bit different. They want to do want to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. School doesn't train you well for that. So you have to think about you know what's there. What are emerging opportunities? So I, I think that's that's the simple and quick path. Yeah. But you know, life has many options and possibilities, and we need to think a little bit broader. If you could go back to let's say grade school or high school, and there was a class that hasn't been provided for you, but yeah. you could create a class yeah. to learn one of these skills or principles to yeah. help you be more successful in life. Absolutely. What would you wish that class would have been on mm -hmm. in teaching you? Would have been social, uh, soft skills, would have been public speaking, would have been training for confidence? What would it be for you? I think, I think training for soft skills would be very valuable. Um, uh, another Another thing I really wish that I don't think would be hard for schools to implement is, uh, at, you know, in high school, I, I would have I would have loved to learn more about economics just mm -hmm. that, as a lens to look, you know, through the world. That idea of, you know, opportunity cost, of trade offs, of realizing, you know, supply, demand, options. There are so many theories and just concepts, these tools and way of looking at the world that come from economics that, you know, most people don't learn at all. And some people learn too late to really apply those tools to their life. And, you know, I, I think looking at the world in terms of trade-offs, opportunity costs, those are valuable things, especially when you're young, you're starting to make decisions about school, career. You know, it's a valuable tool that we don't provide the students. Yeah, I think that's powerful. I think the soft skills are so important. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand how to connect with people, yeah. you don't understand how to finesse a yeah. conversation and yeah. a relationship and understand and be empathetic yeah. towards people, then uh -huh. it's... It's hard. You become more of a robot, right? And well, I I think that's it's really it's really tricky because we that's something I don't think we ever get formally exposed to. Right. There Unless is your no parents are teaching you, but I mean, hopefully, but yeah. it's like you know, formal training to kind of understand that. I mean, be great as opposed to you know, we've had like I said, California's initiative to increase uh, self confidence. You know, could we have some to increase empathy? Mm. You know, that would be really nice is just to have people thinking more about others uh, rather than just trying to build themselves up mm -hmm. because it's not something you experience. And, you know, I don't, I don't think the world needs any more selfishness. We've got plenty. We're all stocked up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've got a lot of that. Why should someone get this book? 
What do you think is going to uh, help them the most by getting this? I think we've, we've just got a lot of myths out there. Mm-hmm. And I think to be asking the questions, I think, is a very powerful thing. But to think you have the answers and they're wrong is far more dangerous. So, I mean, in terms of understanding... Because uh, I'm not just sitting there saying, oh, do this. There's definitely prescriptive advice. But, you know, in that, t- are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? Are you more of somebody who plays by the rules? Are you somebody who can't help but break the rules? Understanding who you are, looking at the environments you're in, and starting to align your personality with where you're at, you know, that's the real goal here. So I think a lot of people aren't thinking about that. They're They're thinking yeah. that... You know, you know, hey, nice guys finish last. Well, okay, well then, when we push that too far, what does that mean? What should I be doing? So I would rather be asking the questions than have the wrong answers. So I think this, at least, we can see the research, the experts, what do they have to say so that that we can have at least have better answers. Better understanding. I got it. Uh, Final few questions for you. Uh, This one's called The Three Truths. Okay. And you've written how many articles now? Oh, God, probably about 5,000 at this point. 5,000? Yeah. Holy cow. You've got a best-selling book that's out right now. It's mm-hmm. going to be a bestseller. You've uh, had how many 290,000 email subscribers, but how many millions of downloads Absolutely. or hits, reads on your I, site, do you know? A lot. <laughs> millions and millions, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. Um, let's say this is your last day many years from now, yeah. and you get to write three things down that is the only three things that people remember you by. Yeah. 5,000 articles, I don't know, millions of words you've written, mm-hmm. but it comes down to three truths, three, three things you know to be true about everything you've learned in your experience that you'd pass on to everyone else. Yeah. What do you think those three truths would be for you? I think the first one would be that issue of, of self-compassion, of you know, forgiving ourselves. We're all going to make mistakes. You know, it's like this, this book is about the mistakes a lot of us have made. And I think, I think forgiving yourself is a lot of the anger. A lot of the problems that we deal with in life come from, you know, not, uh, the second one actually comes from not only the issue of happiness, but also the latest neuroscience research, which is when we focus, just like you were saying about with public speaking, when you focused on others, when you focused on the audience, you were good. When you let the voices in your head start talking to you about, oh, I'm concerned, I'm worried, is when we're focused, much like in meditation, and we're seeing this verified in neuroscience research, when you're focused, that's when you're clear. When you're unfocused, two things happen. Number one, you get a lot more negative thoughts start to come up. And number two, we become self-focused. You know, we just start thinking about who are we? Am I right? Am I okay? Things get more, they get more me and they get more negative. Mm -hmm. But when we go out, when we think about others, when we think about what we're doing, when we're in a flow state, we're much happier and we're better at what we're doing. So that sort of focus on the outside, on what we're doing on other people, you know, creates that. And the third Mm -hmm. thing I would say is gratitude, where gratitude, if you look at Sonia Lubomirsky's research, it's basically... It is, it is hard to feel unhappy when you are feeling gratitude. And it's something that's very simple. You don't actually have... What's fascinating about gratitude is that it's a perspective. You know, you don't have to have more money, more anything to feel it. If you said anything you have, you can feel gratitude or you can take it for granted. It is merely perspective. Nothing in your world has to change, just your attitude towards it. I am so lucky to have this versus, yes, of course, I'm entitled to it. Having that attitude of gratitude 
is just something that creates enormous happiness in yourself. It bonds you to others, makes you thankful to others. And it's the easiest thing to do because you don't need any things to get it. Mm -hmm. It's just a shift in how you look at the world and it can make you and others around you much happier. Yeah. I love that one. That's good, man. Uh, barking up the wrong tree, the surprising science behind why everything you know about success is mostly wrong. Make sure you guys go get this right now. You can go in the bookstores, you can go online, barking up the wrong tree. Um, go to Amazon, bars and everywhere else, go to your website as well. Just Google barking up the wrong tree. Um, before I ask the final question, are you on social media and everything else as well? Absolutely. Should we connect with you? It's all barking up the wrong uh, tree. Uh, you, uh, if they search for Eric Barker. Yeah. Eric Barker. Gotcha. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Eric, for going on the journey to find the solutions to all the things everyone's been looking for. And you do the hard work. You do the research. You've been doing this for years. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are confused. And for you to create relief for people through your words and your hard work and your research has helped so many people who read your message. And it's going to help a lot of people who read this book. So I want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you very much. You're man. welcome. I really appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Final question is what's yeah. your definition of greatness? My definition of greatness is basically is, is finding out who you are, using that to define your goals and using that to help others. You know, it's not as simple as you've got to act. You got to know who you are. You've got to act. You got to get where you want to go. But in the end, if it's just about you, I don't think it's. Mm. I, I think that's that might be success, but it's it's not greatness. It's got to impact people beyond beyond you. So knowing who you are, using that to achieve your goals, and having those goals positively impact the lives of others, to me, that would be greatness. Mm. Eric, thank you so much. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate, Appreciate it. There you have it, my greatness family. I hope you enjoyed this one. Eric Barker was a delight. Make sure to check out all of his information back at the show notes at lewishouse.com slash 482. You can learn about his book there. You can watch the full video interview and all the other stuff that we talked about is back at the show notes, lewishouse.com slash 482. Wherever you're listening to this, make sure to share this out with your friends and tag me on Instagram story or on your Instagram page tag me in the photo or in the video post this on twitter i'm at lewis house or over on facebook as well let me know what you enjoyed most about this and as always share it with your friends i appreciate you guys so much we've got some big big interviews coming up like kevin harrington from shark tank one of the original founders of shark tank and the inventor of the infomercial he's done billions in sales on his infomercials we've got andy frisella the MF CEO coming on as well. An incredible story about how he built a $100 million plus empire in the fitness and nutrition space. We've got some amazing people. Rob Bell coming on the house back again. He's been on a few times, but he's coming back with a powerful message. One of my favorite people in the world. Uh, it's going to be an amazing next couple of weeks. So if this is your first time here, make sure to subscribe at iTunes.com slash greatness. And as always... You know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.